Um, I would love to to um, to add a little bit more on that one. Sure. Um, traditionally, disposable mask is not good for for the planet. Mm. Uh, just earlier last year, you can see that the number of masks to be produced, um, I mean, in the whole world, was in the trillion. Mm -hmm. And then um, disposable mass is not good in a way that uh, obviously it end up um, in the ocean, just right. similar to the plastic. So um, one of the thing that we, I mean, one of the issue that we're looking into um, when we are uh, pivoting when we were pivoting to the mask business was on uh, that particular sustainability. So the way that we designing our mask is actually a um, three layer, uh, which is um, going really well with the current uh, double masking um, right. uh, uh, suggestion from the CDC. This episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Solpri. If you're active at all, whether you're running or simply out walking for the day, you've probably experienced one of the number one problems that active people have, and that's chafing. Solpri's all-new, all-natural anti-chafe balm solves that problem while feeding your skin the vital nutrients it needs to be healthy. If you'd like to stop chafing once and for all and treat your body right, Go to Solpri.com to check out the anti-chafe bomb today. And that's S-O-L-P-R-I.com. Welcome to the Smart Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. My guest today is a chemical engineer by training. He was working on his PhD, but during that process, found the opportunity to take on a commercial venture that really had a limited time to get into, to get going. So that also makes him the CEO of the tech startup, Flexter Power. He's also an ultra runner, novice triathlete, but self-described as a lousy ultra athlete, which we're going to get into. Welcome to the show, Ling Lei. Thank you, Jesse. It's my pleasure to be here today. Yeah, thanks for thanks for joining me. Um, you know, I've, I've had a few CEOs come on to talk to me. I guess, I guess technically speaking, I'm a CEO, but since I'm basically a company of three, um, I don't think of myself that way. Uh, so I, I know you've got a lot going on and I always appreciate, you know, spending a little time with me uh, out of your day when there are, I'm sure, a dozen things on your plate to get done. Thank you so much, Jesse. I think that uh, uh, don't underestimate yourself as a CEO of three. When I start my company, I am the CEO of one and also I am the janitor of one. And then even now, when my company grow to uh, 20 people, still the same. Mm -hmm. I am the CEO of the company and then I am still the janitor of the company. <laughs> it's, you know, it, I don't think people typically think of the CEO as, you know, in that role necessarily, but it's good that, you know, you, you see yourself as a steward, right, of the, the captain of the ship, making sure everybody's taken care of and, you know, making sure the ship is going in the right direction, right? And not only that, I think I like the word janitor because uh, uh, as you uh, uh, initially introduced, I was a chemical engineer. I spent a lot of time in the lab. Mm -hmm. And then uh, actually now looking into my team, uh, looking into what they have done during the day when I am actually helping them cleaning up their experiment, looking at that, 
I put on my inspector hat and then literally I know exactly what has been going on during the day for that mm -hmm. particular person. And that's exactly why I think that the janitor are really a super important role, keeping the room clean, keeping the, the uh, uh, yeah, uh, put out the trash, all of those things. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I love to be one of the first to be in. I, I might be busy, but then I would love to be the last to be out of, of the office, obviously before this thing COVID hit us, right? Right, right. It, <laughs> that's, you know, I hadn't thought about that, but it's, that's kind of an interesting take where it's like, you're going through cleaning stuff up and then that gives you the insight to what's been happening. It's not just like an insight. It was just more like a curiosity because okay. obviously my team is very opening. Whenever we have anything, I am right there. They can mm -hmm. just ask. But then at the same at the same time, I have a feeling of me being alone and then just like uh, um, cleaning things up for mm -hmm. other people and then really like seeing um, how people has, has done during the day. I mean, yeah, I don't have time to do that much more anymore. But then, um, yeah, I still remember that that feeling when the team was growing from me alone to uh, three people. And then we literally talked, I would say, almost 24-7, mm -hmm. I remember. And then I love that feeling. You know, I wonder when, when COVID started, or I guess I should say started affecting the U.S. more significantly, I was having conversations on the podcast and I recall thinking like, I don't want to talk about COVID too much because, you know, it's not going to last that long and it'll, it'll blow over. And that's kind of this sentiment originally, right? There was concern, but, you know, a lot of people thought it won't be around much, but, you know, you and your company have, have played some role in, in trying to help us stay safe. So um, I'm wondering about how do you operate the company right now? You know, are, do you still have, employees working in labs isolated like how did you change your kind of internal setup to continue moving sure uh, let's take a step back and and then uh, uh let me do like a sure. super quick introduction of me first absolutely so um my name is ling i'm born and raised in vietnam um come to new york city the best city in the world in 2008 uh, I got admitted to the PhD uh, program in chemical engineering in Columbia University. And then um, as you uh, introduced before, I put my study aside because when I was working on my PhD, I was among the team uh, as a co-inventor of the graphene nanomaterial technology back in the days, a decade ago. Um, so in 2016, I um, found my company, Flexure Power, in order to further develop and commercialize the graphene technology in different applications, including health tech, including medical device, and also consumer application as well. So the first application we were trying to take on is how to integrate the nanomaterial into the insole. So mm -hmm. the insole, turning the normal insole or the stupid insole into the smart insole, continuously tracking temperature, pressure, and other uh, foot health condition, we specifically looking at diabetic patient. Mm -hmm. So in the past four years working on this, this product, we were able to help um, hundreds of uh, uh, diabetic patients and then COVID hit us. I was able to um, survive. I mean, the company was able to survive by making a quick 
pivot into making the mask. And then that actually came about very, I would say, uh, um, I was lucky at the right place at the right time. I have been in conversation with the hospital partner. And then at that time, remember exactly a year ago when uh, COVID hit us, um, hospital was in the shortage of uh, PPE or personal protection equipment. Mm -hmm. And then at that time, uh, we as a team, uh, my team and then the hospital team going back to the whiteboard. And then we were saying, how can we do from here, from company side, from the hospital side, there's a need, what can we do in order to help them? And then I still remember during my PhD, the nanomaterial that I was working on has an amazing property for antiviral. Mm-hmm. And then it was just like one, like a light bulb moment in my head. And then I was going back to the team, uh, hop onto the whiteboard at the time we were already isolated. So virtual whiteboard, I would say. And then literally within seven weeks, we were able to get the first prototype of the graphene mask mm-hmm. out on the market. And those now going back to the uh, how a company how my company has been operating, we are operating 100% virtually right now. I am uh, uh, with my family now. The company is still operating in New York City, and then um, right now we have a COVID procedure in place. Um, only one to two people coming into the lab or coming mm-hmm. into the office at one time. So um, definitely as an entrepreneur, as a, uh, um, as a team, the culture has shifted significantly. We used to talk with each other all the time, but now how do we continue to innovate? How do we continue to uh, really uh, um, tackle on technical problem um, or technical issue? Um, how do we, how are we doing that? We still figuring out like literally how to do that. So it has been challenging, not only for me, but then also for other uh, startup company as well. You, you know, you talked about missing out on some of those conversations. I remember a guest and it, it'll come to me in a minute, which guest, but um, she was talking about, uh, you know, she's in an academic setting, but just missing out on being around all of her colleagues and having some of those kind of like incidental conversations that aren't planned but then end up leading down, you know, a path that you get to talking about something and that leads to some research that wouldn't have happened had you not just been like passing in the hall and saying hi. So it, it, that, it just makes me think about that. I don't really have a question. It, 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 I think we're just, there's definitely value in being able to be present physically with each other. Yeah. Otherwise we have to schedule these times and say, okay, we're getting on to talk and then there's a time it stops and it feels like spontaneity in some ways is like a spark for discovery. That is totally right. And then in my uh, world of uh, academia, I mean academia, scientists and actually science, usually the most uh, breakthrough um, science actually happen um, spontaneously. You Mm -hmm. cannot plant that. Yeah. Um, so I will jump back to ask you about the mask. I've got a lot of questions from a logistical standpoint, both about it and production. The, the first thing that, you know, comes, comes to mind just as a, a person that produces physical products is, so you're producing a prototype in seven weeks. Is that 
correct? It so, is correct. So, you know, given that, and please correct me, graphene is not a, a material that just any manufacturer can deal with. Were, were you talking with the, the manufacturer that was producing your insoles and, and having them pivot with you? Or, or how did that, pro did you onboard somebody else? How did that process go? Sure. Um, I think that, that that question can be answered in a lot of different way. Um, and then I was lucky, again, to be in the right place at the right time, not only from the supply and demand perspective, but mm -hmm. it's also from the partnership and manufacturing perspective. Right. Um, I was really lucky. Uh, in 2018, my company has a chance to work with one of the largest uh, uh, material um, innovation in the world, okay. WL Gore. Um, and associates, the maker of Gore-Tex. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously a lot of people have heard about Gore-Tex in, right. in, in other, uh, like a jacket, but then actually Gore-Tex is, is an amazing material science company. So working with Gore in the past, uh, we were able to know a little bit about logistic. We were able to a little bit about, I mean, knowing a little bit about supply chain from uh, production and then facility and all of those things. And then at the same time, um, I was able to connect with my uh, family and then my network in Vietnam. At the time, you might remember that Vietnam was doing really well with COVID because we are super close to mm -hmm. China. We have some information uh, much early on from late 2019 to early 2020. Mm -hmm. So um, the government has made some, uh, I would say, um, proper uh, uh, change to the, uh, to the border restriction and, and, and other thing. And then Vietnam was able to operate almost as normal business almost as normal for for the largely i mean for almost for the whole year of 2020 mm -hmm. so again um we were able to make the uh, the mask along with the insole from the same list of manufacturing partner that we have been talking with and then um yeah, that was the first time that I have learned about um, import and export. That was the first time that I learned about how to airship versus uh, uh, shipping VRC. And uh, <laughs> it has been so much fun figuring that out. And again, as an entrepreneur, we are a little bit of, we know a little bit of everything. We are, I think that that's, that is, again, yeah, triathlete, right? Right. A little right. bit of everything. Right. And, and, constantly adjusting just like triathlon you have a plan you think you're going to do something something happens and then you gotta adjust and, and this is you probably experienced this where like the listener probably has has no idea about this but like air shipping rates from overseas be it china or vietnam have been going up recently and it's been very difficult on some supply chains or then they're if they want to keep the price of their you know, goods down, they, then they have to ship by sea, which takes a much longer time, uh, but is more economical. So it, it's been a challenge with our kind of global supply chain. I don't know how you guys have fared, um, but I know it's been a constant in kind of the entrepreneur circles that I run in. It's been a constant game of adjustment and trying to figure out, you know, <laughs> how do we tackle all of these issues and the stops and starts of everything with COVID going on, just yep. keep trying to keep things moving. Yep, 
Totally. And then I, I'm uh, in the startup and entrepreneur network. There's a lot of new activity or new initiative trying mm -hmm. to see how we can better uh, manage the supply chain. There's yeah. a lot of initiative on uh, not only air travel, but also on uh, uh, sea travel and then see how, <clears throat> see how um, we can uh, work on that. Yeah. So I want to back up a little bit and actually talk uh, about the mask, I unfortunately ran out of time uh, to get to actually reading about read the white white, white paper you guys publish. Um, but the the gist I could tell is you're talking about uh, the material being antiviral, but it's also hydrophobic. So, which to the layman is it doesn't like water; it repels water, so to speak. Um, is it largely that hydrophobic? aspect that makes it antiviral or, or does the graphene itself have an ability to kill or destroy viruses? Um, actually, that is a combination of all of those uh, um, property. So again, think Gore-Tex, right? Why Gore-Tex has been a, a super good uh, rain propeller or like rain uh, proof material. Mm -hmm. And then the way that we think about our mask and especially our uh, graphene filter, is that the ability to block the, uh, uh, the viral containing droplet. Obviously, when someone's sneezing, they are sneezing out um, water droplet. And then within that water droplet, if the person is COVID positive, then there is a um, SARS-CoV coronavirus within that droplet. Mm -hmm. So what we are trying to see is that we were utilizing the hydrophobic or um, dislike water substrate. So by, by utilizing that, we actually uh, showing in the lab that we can effectively block 80 to 90%, 90% of the uh, water droplet. And then about 10 to 20% of the water droplet might still go into the, uh, to the substrate. And mm -hmm. then that's where the graphene come to play. The graphene role actually in that particular sense was that it's is a nanomaterial, it's mm -hmm. super sharp. Right. And then from the uh, molecular level, you can consider it as a, um, I would say like a, um, like a sharp edge, like a uh, razor, for example, that cut open the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. So we have seen that in the lab, there's a lot of publication. The first one came out from uh, University of Hong Kong back in June of 2000. 20. Mm -hmm. And then since then, there's a lot of work uh, from uh, graphene producer in the world. We were just uh, um, tagging along and then, uh, yeah, a lot of masks need to be made uh, in order to protecting the whole world from this pandemic. Yeah, it, it kind of makes me wonder about, you know, there was a lot, I saw a lot of pivots into masks. Um, uh, you know, there, there's a entrepreneur I follow and they predominantly produce like cloth type products. And then they ended up making masks out of like when they're, they're, they're in the wedding business and weddings basically dropped off the map and they like pivoted to make masks, you know, there's, so there's all these materials being used for masks and it, rightly or wrongly skepticism about, you know, what's effective, what's not effective, what should we be doing? Um, it, it seems like you're in a very unique position to, to pivot and make, a, a, you know, a very 
useful item um, compared to say just making something out of regular cloth. Um, I would love to to um, to add a little bit more on that one. Sure. Um, traditionally, disposable mask is not good for for the planet. Mm -hmm. uh, just earlier last year, you can see that the number of masks to be produced, um, I mean, in the whole world was in the trillion. Mm -hmm. And then um, disposable mass is not good in a way that uh, obviously it end up um, in the ocean, just right. similar to the plastic. So um, one of the thing that we, I mean, one of the issue that we're looking into um, when we are uh, pivoting when we were pivoting to the mask business was on uh, that particular sustainability. So the way that we designing our mask is actually a um, three layer, uh, which is um, going really well with the current uh, double masking um, right. uh, uh, suggestion from the CDC. So we were developing the mask itself as a, um, as a packaging material. And then we have the graphene filter that uh, it was coming into, I mean, coming in between the right. the mask. So basically, the mask itself is a normal cloth mask, but then the but then what really protect you is actually the graphene filter that is going in between. And also, we have seen from our customer um, a lot of people were asking, "Hey, can I buy additional filter?" And then sure, we listen to our customer, and then we offering them, "Hey, you can buy a pack of three, which is last you for a month or two. You can buy a pack of six, or you can actually buy more for you for your family." And then actually, uh, a lot of people uh, were saying, "Why don't you come up with a subscription business?" And we mm -hmm. did that. So we just take on your, uh, I mean, we just take on the the customer um, um, credit card, and then mm -hmm. every month or two, uh, we send them a pack of three make things easier for them. Yeah, and that's that's something I've run into as well since I sell you know personal care products. I, I didn't do subscriptions for a very long time. Um, and then I keep having people ask me, why don't you do subscriptions? Why don't you do subscriptions? So I finally said, okay, <laughs> I still offer like, you know, single, like you can just go buy a single. I think this is the same with you. If I remember the website correctly, you can just go buy one, but then you also have the option to yes. subscribe. So it's, mm -hmm. it's, I like that. This is a bit of a diatribe, I guess, but it, it bothers me a lot when companies pivot from being able to buy the product or subscribe to just pushing everybody towards subscriptions. Cause it's like, not everybody wants to, you know, engage that way. Some people do. So I appreciate you leaving it as both options. That's just a, a personal thank you, I guess. Um, <laughs> But um, so we operating as a company, we operating in a way that um, customer first. So the right. customer has the most option. And then we as a company try to do our best in order to accommodate that uh, um, customer from um, personal customer, like a, uh, uh, like a consumer buying our mask yeah. or actually from the business who are subscribed who are subscribing for our uh, insole um, solution for helping diabetic patient. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how how did the the shift? How did that change, or did it change like the visibility of the company? Since it's in some ways kind of the same big market, but obviously a very different product in the pivot. So are you getting more? Uh, I would assume with the insoles that you're probably working more with like business side customers versus 
the mask is going to be more consumer level or the ability to have more consumer level. So, I mean, how did the shift change kind of your visibility, so to speak? Sure. I think that the visibility you you mentioned might be answering in the branding perspective, mm-hmm. or it could be uh, like uh, um, in in the uh, impact or like in the influence perspective. I would firstly talk about the brand. Um, so when we when we first started the company, the name was actually Bon Bouton. So um, Bon Bouton is a very good consumer. Uh, uh, facing name, uh, but then during the pandemic, uh, we will actually take on one of the items that that we shelve, which is obviously rebranding. And then during the pandemic, uh, the team got back together. We rebrand uh, from uh, Bombaton to Flexure Power, which is the power of the flexible and transparent material mm-hmm. graphene. It go really well with um, uh, with the vision of the company, really, because um, the graphene material can power both the insole and the mask. So that is going well from from the branding side. Mm -hmm. What you talk a little bit about uh, before was on the the insole business. We work with insurance company, we work with hospital, mainly big and medium sized businesses. Um, So obviously the customer base, the client base, the user base are totally different. Um, But then at the same time, I think that um, Again, uh, the work that we are doing, it, it can bring impact if we seeing the mission of the company uh, being the same in uh, helping um, everyone from patient, from diabetic patient to normal people uh, uh, from pandemic. Um, that is that is good. We were just thinking like if we were able to somehow ramping up the production earlier, if we have a little bit more money to market this product to mm-hmm. um, to the U.S. Uh, market, we might not have half a million people die from pandemic, which is which is crazy, which is a sad milestone for the yeah. U.S. Yeah. Um, I, I have so many questions about graphene and the products and stuff. I'm I I'm a little bit like. I'm not sure where to where to jump to, but uh, I do want to talk a little bit more. You just need to start. Yeah, I know. Asking questions. I know. Why well, we always have so we have a little time. I'm like we're going to run out of time. I'm going to have so many questions left. Um, so I, I want to ask about the insoles because I've talked to several different uh, people, both uh, like startup founders and. Uh, like I, the first person to come to mind is uh, Matt Jordan, who works at the uh, Canadian Institute of Sport. He works with like uh, Canadian Olympic athletes. I, I, thinking about the insole, there's a lot of people working on like technology to track athletic performance, and all these kind of things. And and obviously you have you know receptors in this insole to track for. Um, I think it's ulcer development for. Diabetic, diabetic patients' feet, which is an awesome product. Uh, I, as a backstory, I worked in a shoe store that helped diabetic patients and other people with health conditions fit shoes to make sure that they didn't end up with problems uh, down the line and end up potentially having amputations. Yours is obviously a much um, more technologically advanced and what I want to say. Uh, probably accurate way to help prevent that. But it, because of where I come from, my immediately a jump thinking about it is, are you going to 
you have any thoughts about spinning off like a subdivision to make like sport application for the insole in it, it, has that ever crossed your mind i guess not only has it ever crossed uh, my mind i'm actually testing my product in one of my racing or actually yeah. ultra uh, running as well um, and too bad uh, in the um, in that particular running i developed a blister mm. on my uh, toe so obviously the product didn't work for me at the time anyway that was just a uh, 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 that, it was just a joke um, but then it actually happened even though it was a joke for me that I developed blister during my run. So when I, uh, as, as you remember, and then as the audience uh, um, might have remembered that uh, when I was working on my PhD, we have a technology and then we don't know what that technology uh, will be applicable in. So when I was talking with a lot of people, the, um, I got the feedback was, hey, you are the solution looking for a problem. So at that time, I still remember during my uh, like um, time of incubating the idea back in 2015, 2016, mm -hmm. I was having a uh, list of all of the potential application mm -hmm. for the technology that I was working on. We have, at the time, I have about 114, 115 potential application and diabetic foot amputation or diabetic foot ulceration not even was not even in the top 50. Mm -hmm. um, so the reason that I came about this um, diabetic foot uh, ulceration was actually stemmed from uh, my wife's uh, pregnancy. She got gestational diabetes and then uh, experiencing that amazing um, uh, pregnancy with her, we share a lot. And then um, at the same time, I learned more about uh, diabetic uh, uh, foot care. And then you said before about autotic solution, how to fit the shoe. Um, I was thinking like uh, Fletcher Power and autotic solution, actually a complementary uh, rather than competing with each other. Um, so um, again, um, long story short, we were focusing on, I mean, as a company, we were focusing on developing the uh, health tech food care kind of uh, solution for mm -hmm. diabetic patient first. Would it be possible for us to work with athlete? I would love to sometime in the future when we yeah. show that, hey, this capability can be applicable. I would love to get it tested by, um, by an amazing athlete. I, I have been talking with with, uh, uh, with Nike as well. Mm -hmm. um, I would love to see that um, if there is a reality coming out of that project or like that conversation. I definitely think, you know, it's all theoretical, obviously. And you're the one that has the in-depth knowledge about the, the technology, but because especially runners, you know, we're talking about runners in particular, because uh, that's kind of where I live. But I would think that with enough data, especially kind of self-selected data. So like, say I'm wearing them and, you know, there's enough data collected over, we'll say a month. I don't know how long it needs to be, but say a month is the threshold. And then three months down the line, you know, the technology notices that now my strike pattern on the ground is different. Well, that is probably an indication that 
there's some kind of injury forming, like I'm running differently for some reason. It, it, it could be kind of a precursor to kind of like the, the ulceration technology saying, Hey, like go check out a doctor in this case saying, yep. Hey, like something's wrong. You know, maybe it's not able to say you pulled your hamstring or, you know, you have a stress fracture, but that, Hey, there's something off. Like you should maybe go through these steps or something. So that's, that's the thing I think about because otherwise we're always straddling the line and, and you, you know, I'm sure you've been through this since you, even though describe yourself as lousy at it, you're still doing triathlons and ultras. We're always straddling the line between how much is too much training and, and just enough. And yep. it's easy to totally. go over that line. So yep. it is, it is a very fine line. And I totally agree with you, Jesse. I still remember the time I got a shin splint mm-hmm. that put me uh, off running for a month. I felt terrible. Yeah. Um, but actually, going back to your previous question, I think that there are a lot of work. Uh, there's a lot of uh, new activity from startup as well as the large corporation right now. Mm-hmm. And then the way that I'm seeing it, actually, there are two big trends. Number one is actually on the professional athlete, how to help them uh, increasing their performance. Yeah. And then on the uh, other side with the mass market, how do, uh, how do technology, how do um, different kind of service help them help the mass markets reducing the uh, injury. So those are the two big trends. And then um, yeah, I would love to see like um, uh, how Fletcher Power can can uh, can 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 play some kind of uh, role in uh, either a professional athlete or in the mass market mm-hmm. later. Mm-hmm. We need to focus as an entrepreneur yeah, for now. Right, right. That's the that's the tough part. Right, is like. I definitely have this tendency where you see, you're like, okay, there's this possibility and there's that possibility and there's all these things we can do, but then we have to focus on like this, just, this is the one thing that we do do where we're going to do it very, very well. So I definitely just get like that. as a runner, right. Just like yeah. as a runner, just focus on your run. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But at so, the same time, enjoying whatever happening around you. Right. And then especially like, trail running. Right. And like we said earlier that like sometimes the, the best things that happen, we didn't plan for. So sometimes things just happen and it sends you down a new path and you had no idea you were going to go that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and actually, Jesse, um, I just had an idea uh, when you were, uh, when you brought up the idea earlier about the um, changing the form. Mm-hmm. Actually, I was a, a huge strike early on mm-hmm. and then um Three years ago, I adopted the uh, uh, running on uh, barefoot running. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was running with the uh, uh, with the Vibram five finger, mm-hmm. and then um, I started with only five k, and then ten k, and then half marathon, and then marathon uh, with the five fingers Vibram. Um, and what I found out was that it significantly changed the form. So oh, yeah. I, I yep. Now I am midfoot, and then I can. Um, I have I have not experienced any uh, injury for the past two years. Finger crossed. I hope that I can keep keep up with it. Mm-hmm. That's it's it's always a tough thing for me. I, you know, I have another show uh, on the YouTube channel where I talk about running, and I think in a lot of ways the kind of barefoot running movement exposed that there's a lot of inefficiencies with shoes. 
but at the same time it it made a lot of people think like that's the only way or that's you have to run barefoot to run perfectly and what i try to get across is that it's more about making sure that like you're you're when you hit the ground when your foot hits the ground it's underneath you whereas like with the heel strike usually it's in front of you doesn't have to be it can be underneath you but like that's where all that injury comes from it's like you hit the ground and you're basically breaking every single time you take a step well then no wonder you're going to get injured like you're jarring your system and break you're breaking and going every single step do that over and over thousands of times something's gonna break Mm -hmm. not only thousand when you run an ultra it's actually close to a hundred thousand yeah yeah steps (laughs) you know we're pretty resilient but we're not we're not unbreakable um i i do want to back up a little bit more and we're going to back up quite a ways um i was trying to to learn about the history of graphene and it it seemed like at its inception there was um a lack of confidence or maybe skepticism as it, it it being actually useful for anything amazing to discover but then how do we actually use it and then i couldn't figure out where we got from there to you know you creating things that are actually useful with it can you can you help me fill in the gaps there from you know discovery to where you are now sure um i would say that um that is a very interesting um story and then now looking back um as you probably know that um, uh, graphene was uh, discovered by the two um, scientists in Manchester, mm-hmm. um, and then they received the uh, Nobel Prize in 2010, which is a little bit over a decade ago. Um, I was lucky enough to be involving with uh, graphene since 2008, so I have heard about uh, graphene since then within a uh, very small community mm-hmm. of um, scientists. Um, but to be honest, going back, uh, I mean, I have been working with carbon material for my whole life. Yeah. During my undergrad back in Vietnam, I was working on a um, uh, like a uh, glassy carbon, like a like a uh, uh, I would say like similar to graphite material. And then when I first came to the state, my first project was working on carbon nanotube. Mm-hmm. So it is it is it is like a carbon. I. I now can say that I have always been interested in working with carbon material because, because they are special uh, um, chemical substance, I would say, or like, chem- or like carbon is a very special uh, element. Anyway, um, so graphene at the time was like a, uh, I would say people see that as a cut open nanotube. So for example, you have a tube like similar to the straw, you cut it open, you lay it flat, that was the graphene. So it's a 2D or two-dimensional material. So as you said earlier, um, when the graphene was uh, discovered and then when graphene make a a huge splash in the academic and then the world on, this is the next generation silicon. This is the next generation uh, wonderful material that can do a lot of different things. What people didn't realize was that how long does it take for a material to be successfully <clears throat> to be successfully translated from the lab mm-hmm. into commercial? Yeah. So there are a variety of different ways to look at that, not only from the um, not only from from the reliability, 
but also from the performance perspective and also from, again, supply chain, which we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. So um, right now in the world, I would say that there are only several um, coal mines in the world, maybe in Canada, maybe in China, actually having a super good quality of the graphene, I mean, of the graphite, that mm -hmm. can be um, taken down layer by layer into graphene. That is one way to, 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 to make graphene. The other way to make graphene is actually by putting one carbon atom together, on together, on together, and then they call that CVD graphene, which is chemical vapor deposition of graphene. Um, the two leading um, uh, manufacturer of the CVD uh, graphene is IBM and Samsung in Korea. Um, they primarily they primarily interested in making that uh, utilizing uh, for the next generation of supercomputer. I am pretty sure that in the next decade or two, we will be seeing um, carbon-based or like uh, graphene-based um, supercomputer um, going into the world. But then right now, as uh, as it is right now, graphene has still have a lot of good property. And then that's exactly why we have been working on, or we're actually leveraging um, the knowledge that other people has been innovate. And then we try to incorporate it into a product that can benefit people. Yeah, I, you know, and I could be imagining it too, but I feel like when, when the researchers won the Nobel Peace not pre-spice Nobel Prize in for graphene. I feel like it may not have been exactly that year, but somewhere around the year, I, I feel like I heard about it. I was in college at the time, my undergraduate. And I feel like I see from time to time, you know, you see a research paper, something published, and somehow a journalist picks it up, talks about it, how you know it's gonna be awesome. And then you hear nothing. And I, I feel like it, from the layman's perspective or like the mass market perspective that people get really skeptical when they hear about any new discovery they're like oh it's never going to go anywhere um i think that's partly to do with just the internet and internet culture sharing so many things and how things kind of blow up and then fade away and then you don't actually hear about them but as you mentioned like the 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 time, effort, and expertise it takes to go from lab setting to, you know, consumer-ready product is very intensive. Even if it's like, yes, this has promise, there's still so much more work to do be done. I think it's hard as, uh, you know, a person that doesn't live in that lane, that doesn't live in the, the place of taking academic research and making it commercially viable, it's hard to wrap your head around the timeline it takes to actually do that. Yeah, and also another thing uh, is that um, uh, there's a risk of uh, everything, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why uh, the regulator needs to be there. And then that exactly why I think that the, pro I mean, that is the right thing to do from the yeah. government perspective in order to protect the consumer, in order to protect the user. And then actually for us, uh, our insole, same same thing. We need mm -hmm. to going through uh, rigorous um, uh, regulatory approval process. And then it is there for a reason that we 
don't want to give out a product that that might not help people. Mm. We we love our product, but then we want uh, uh, our product to and and the service as well to be uh, regulated um, in a way because there's a lot of things we don't know. Yeah, yeah. Before we run out of time, I want to ask you about. I think I saw you guys are working on a wearable shirt using graphene. Is that correct? Uh, yes, it's. I would say that it's a. Uh, it's still in uh, inception right now. Mm -hmm. So um, that idea came about uh, from the combination of uh, uh, insole and the mask. Mm -hmm. So we have successfully integrated the nanomaterial into textile. We have. Uh, um, and then we just have an idea, hey, if we integrate the graphene into the shirt, can we do other things with it? Mm -hmm. And uh, here we are. I really think that uh, if we somehow can um, turning a shirt into a smart t-shirt, mm -hmm. then we would be able to having a shirt not only keep us warm, uh, but then it's a natural interface between the body and the rest of the network, which is everything we are talking about right now. So is it, is your intention to have it be like a diagnostic tool, kind of like the insole, or is it again, like you mentioned people saying to you, is it a solution looking for a problem? Um, so I would say that in my uh, initial idea right now, uh, we are wearing a Gammon watch that tell us about the heart rate, mm -hmm. especially resting heart rate, for example. So if we, uh, I mean, our skin uh, putting out a lot of information, sweat rate, uh, radiation, some something about like how, uh, how dry your skin uh, is. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, I think that uh, uh, um, you obviously, I mean, this episode was uh, uh, sponsored by Sopri, if I remember right. correctly. Yep, that's my right? company, yep. Yep, chafing product. Um, I have that too, obviously, during my running and then <laughs> uh, that happened all the time. Again, what I was trying to say on the product, on the uh, uh, on t-shirt product is that if we were able to somehow um, collecting a lot of physiology data from the uh, electrode, I mean, from the electrodermal um, conductive skin, skin conductance from the heart rate, from the core body temperature, from the sweat rate, we would be able to do a lot on that. And then with the capacity or capability of uh, cloud computing right now, all of those data should be able to uh, dump into the um, server. And then we can pick out what might be happening, what can potentially happen. We can hopefully uh, prevent stroke for example, mm -hmm. we can hopefully prevent um, uh, heat exhaustion, for example, in running application. Mm -hmm. So um, again, yeah, I think that uh, um, that is literally the vision of uh, Fletcher Power. We were trying to see how we realize the power of the graphene material in a remote diagnosis, in a remote monitoring application that mm -hmm. help human. I'm, I'm hopeful to see kind of how things develop over the next few years with that. Um, so I, I know you've listened to a few other episodes of the show, so you may know, uh, I'd like to ask everybody the same question for a particular season. So before we run out of time, I'll ask you that now. Uh, this year, I'm asking everybody, how do you stay motivated after failing to reach a goal? Uh, 
I have failed a lot. I have to deal with uh, failure all the time. Um, and then that actually the reason why I turn to running as well as biking and triathlon. It doesn't matter uh, which direction you go. You just need to put one foot uh, in front of the other. Mm -hmm. Keep on going. That's a good answer. Um, Ling, uh, if people want to, you know, get the masks, see what you're doing, where can they find you? Uh, I am very easy to find. Uh, FletcherPower.com uh, is the company name. And then uh, I am always open on Twitter and LinkedIn. You can find me on um, L-E-T-U-N-G-L-I-N-H. Sounds good. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Thank you, Jesse. It's a pleasure.